What's up everyone, welcome to episode 15 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. A Samuel Lewis that has broken up from work for six weeks. Mate, how are you? I'm fantastic. Uh, Chris, I woke up at 10 to 3 this afternoon. Mate, I've told you to not tell me this kind of stuff because it really fucking annoys me. I've been at work for over six and a half hours by that point. <laughs> I went to you. I went to bed at half past four though. Oh mate, what were you? What were you doing? Were you what was uh, NBA playoffs or something? No, no, I was um fucking about. I was, <laughs> I was <laughs> till half four in the morning. Fucking, like, what were you doing? Fucking selling cocaine. <laughs> no, no, you know the, the dealers have bedtimes. Um, so we, I was, I was on the, I was on the PlayStation until like two, and then I started watching YouTube videos and stuff. What I, were I, you... I, I've got, I've been, I've been finding these lectures, and I, I, I get to a point where I'm watching like fucking TED talks at half past two. Can't help myself. What were you playing? Fucking NBA. Uh, Madden, actually. <laughs> what um, season are you in? <laughs> I don't even want to tell. Twenty eighty-seven. Twenty thirty. How many, how many Rocky films have been released by then? Um, actually, Rocky 27 has come out, and Sly Stallone has just beaten the comed ghost of Bubba, of Bubba <laughs> Lang. Um, he's, training, he's training his cousin's dog to beat Ivan Drago's divorced little sister. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a thrilling ride for all the family. But actually, Madden 20 is coming out on August the 2nd. So. Oh, shit, yeah, Madden drops in August time, yeah. It does, mate. So I'm, I'm I'm excited for that. So I was I was getting my final little bits of my career mode in f- to delete it all and do exactly the same thing in three days. Interesting caveat: by August, by August 2030, there'll be like another 17 Transformers films, won't there? Uh, yes, and they'll all be dog shit. And Jack Holloway, the owner of Noise, will have watched all of them and loved all of Jack them. Jack will have bought shares in the Transformers franchise by that point. He'll be a part owner. Now, Jack, if you're listening, I'd like you to send me a message uh, about this one topic because there's there's no way that any human that's ever breathed air could have enjoyed Transformers Age of Extinction. <laughs> it's not. Uh, I don't actually think the physics could be is worked that, is out. Is that the third one? No, it's it's the fourth one, I think. No, hang on. Uh, yeah, it's the fourth one. It's the first one that's got Mark Wahlberg in. And I'm telling you now, Sam, th- th- there is no physical fucking mathematician, any kind of sum that could be done where a human being could find enjoyment from that film. It's absolute fucking dog shit, You're going to be so disappointed when Jack tells you he's fucking 9 out of 10 Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> no, no, Sam, it can't it's be done. Four paragraphs explaining why he loved it so much. Mm, Sam, it's fucking terrible. You know you know the acting of Jason Statham's girlfriend in Transformers 3? Yeah. Ima- <laughs> imagine, imagine the quality of that. I forgot there was acting in that film, actually. <laughs> I, I, I imagine robots beating each other up for an hour. Imagine the quality of that, but spread over 14 hours, which is what that film feels like. Mate, it is a rough, rough time. A fucking sandpaper to the eyeballs would be less rough. It is fucking terrible, man. (laughs) Coming soon, Noisecast does film. (laughs) (laughs) Jack, it was something, man. I swear to God, Jack, if you give this any more than a five, I'm fucking quitting. (laughs) In case it's the first time you've ever listened to us, this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about rock and metal. On this week's episode, we're going to go through the news. Uh, Sam's greatest metal 
albums of all time list. We're going to do album reviews on Carnifex, World War X and North Lanes Alien. And if you missed uh, two weeks ago's episode, we did a 2000 tree, well I did my 2000 trees review, which is the best time. And we reviewed Adarty's Murders, Human Target Man. So if you missed that episode, do check it out because a few laughs in there. And also, um, one of the most interesting record reviews that me and you have done, I think, talking about the Hearties Murders album. And actually, uh, funnily enough, looking at the re- looking at other reviews from other publications, it seems that we were pretty much bang on with what other people thought as well. Latest on Noise.co.uk has got interviews with uh, Norman D and False Advertising, both from 2000 Trees, and a review of the new Sanction album called Broken in Refaction. Now, Sanction are meant to be one of the sickest hardcore bands going, man, and just, uh, just behind Not Loose in terms of intensity, so check that shit out. Uh, merch www.noise.bigcartel.com you can get your t-shirts and your beanies there for £15.50 and as I mentioned on uh, last week's episode subscribe to us on YouTube and like the video we're available on YouTube Apple Music and wherever you get podcasts apart from Spotify again give us time on that one uh, really helps us out we're 15 away from 100 subscribers which as we mentioned last time is actually uh, the benchmark that we set when we set up this podcast and anything after that we're going to class as a bonus so if you get to subscribe it would mean a fucking lot to us uh, Sam should we get on with the show please do Lamb of God announced their split from Chris Adler Sam uh, it was about uh, a week uh, maybe 10 days ago um, yeah. interesting one this because saying, saying I was surprised by the news feels like I'd be kind of lying to you because it's been a long time since I saw Chris Adler Behind the uh, drum kit for Lamb of God. Yeah, it, so, has, it has been a little bit, hasn't it? Um, but the actual it, news that they've split, it, you know, it's still, it still comes as a bit of a heavy one. Now, you've been a Lamb of God fan for much, much longer than I have. Like, much, much, much. So, <laughs> and obviously you're the drummer. So, I'll pass over to you, uh, mate. How influential was Chris Adler on metal? Uh, Chris, Ad- Chris Adler's um, impact on Lamb of God's sound is akin to Travis Barker's on Blink 182s. I thought you were going to go there. And I do actually agree with that. Um, because as, as fantastic a Lamb of God are, um, you listen to some of the great Lamb of God songs, and it's Chris Adler's drumming. The tr- the combination of the tribalism he's able to come up with, the little inflections, and the uniqueness of his sound and technique that sets them apart and makes them one of the reasons why no. No metal band have sounded like Lamb of God, even remotely within the ballpark of what Lamb of God sound like. Um, and it, it's such a massive part down to, to Chris Adler, who is one of the most forward-thinking, intelligent, and just absolutely brilliant musicians of the last 20 years in any genre, and I honest to God mean that. Um, he's, he's a contribution to, to one of the, the, most, the foremost metal bands of the 21st century, should never be understated, and is as impactful on this band as... Joey Jordison was considered a Slipknot, and even like Keith Moon was in The Who. Like it's it's that central figure um, to what they're trying to do. And then on top of that, on top of that, he's an, he was an understated member of the writing process and the marketing process. And one of the many reasons why Lamb of God made the success that they are is because of his influence on the band. Like Chris Adler's, like the like was role in in, in in Lamb of God was akin to Lars Ulrich's in Metallica where he's in charge of a lot of the business based decisions and a lot of the marketing decisions and a lot of the, the, the thoughts of the band moving forward and lyrical ideas and, and tone and, and all this big picture stuff it's not just like they've lost a drummer it, it, it they're not the heart and soul of such because I think that's like Randy and Mark Morton and stuff but I think the brains and 
the some of the best pair of hands I've ever heard in metal have, have, have gone from one of the great metal bands. It's it's a huge loss. Huge loss. What's interesting about this is, if you weren't aware, for people listening, the reason why Chris Adler hasn't been playing in Lama God for a, a good old while is because he suffered a, a motorcycle accident in 2018 and he had to sit out a lot of live shows. But an interesting point to this is that I can't remember when, but it hasn't been more than two years ago, uh, Chris Adler was offered to be uh, Megadeth's full-time drummer and he turned it down. And I do, like, I think, I can't remember the exact timing of it, but it was relatively recently. So that is an interesting point to this in terms of, was this a collective decision in terms of Chris Adler being part of the decision? Uh, was it the other members being, with the other members being like, oh man, Art Cruz, who is the new drummer, uh, has been sick and he's ready to record an album right now and Chris is going to take another year out but we want to do an album right now. So... We're going to be able to have a difficult discussion with Chris. Do you know what I mean? I'm interested, and I doubt anyone's ever going to find out the real details of how this meeting went down. But I'll be very interested to find out what happened when these guys were sitting in the room or over the phone or however this decision was made. And I do agree with you that Chris Adler, I can't imagine listening to any record of Lamb of God that hasn't got his influence Regardless of the fact that I think I said to you a, a few days ago when I was I saw you, I was like, what was the last Lamb of God album you loved, though? And you went, oh, Wrath, probably. So, like, even though Lamb of God have, have weaned off in the last two albums in terms of quality, you'd still look at Chris Adler as being like, oh, well, Chris Adler's drumming, so it's got a chance of being at least an eight. Well, that's just, the thing. Just it, with Chris it, it, Adler. Even, even if what, what they've done in the, the recent past is a bit of disappointing in comparison to what they've done before that, Losing Chris Adler reduces the propensity of their potential for the future. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's not just talking about what they've done in the last two albums. It's their next two albums have yeah. a lower have a lower foundation to build on because they've lost one of the the better musicians that that we've seen in modern metal. You know what though? What a chance for Art Cruz. If you're not familiar with who he, who he is, he used to be the Winds of Plague drummer. Uh, Winds of Plague are fucking sick as well. If you let like to check them out, you should do so. Uh, not that new record. New record sucks, but the previous ones <laughs> fucking fire. Um, Art Cruz is a bit of a bad boy drummer, and I've seen him twice now drumming Lamb of God. Uh, we saw him when they supported Slayer, um, and let's be honest, no complaints. And no. then uh, we and then I saw him uh, a download with Lamb of God as well. Uh, great both times, man. So what I'd be interested is what he knows, obviously, the shoes he's got to fill. I don't want him to try and fill Chris Adler's shoes, though. I want him to be Art Cruz. I think it's a mistake if he starts trying to be Mr. Technical and try to fit directly into Chris Adler. Because I, I just think um, immediately he becomes a comparison. Whereas, obviously, Lama God fans are going to compare him anyway, because that's what human beings do. But if he just sits down and makes his own drumming in Lamb of God, then it can be literally A and B instead of A minor or A plus. Do you know what I mean? That's a fair point. So um, I'll be interested to see what happens. Uh, apparently Lamb of God are gearing towards pre-production for a new album. Of course we'll listen to it. Of course I'll be interested in it. Um, I, I do agree with you. The last, like When I listened to Lamb of God, the last album that... Really, I'll get something major out of his wrath. Um, so, this is a fucking great chance for the band, man. Maybe to reinvent themselves again. Maybe to just do something completely different. If there's no Chris, and then now they haven't got that technical drumming in the background, maybe they'll go down a completely different route. Uh, but, man, I'm all on board. Mate, 
Mark Morton and fucking Randy Blythe just fucking inject it into me during the main. Yeah, I'll be excited for a new Lamb of God album regardless, I guess. But I don't know. It's just it's just a big loss in terms of what they are like going to be moving forward. So there wasn't a lot of news in the past two weeks or news that I fancy talking to you about. However, <laughs> Sam. Yeah. A, a few weeks ago, I was at work and I was stumbling across. I was just reading the news while I was uh, while I was. <laughs> call it bored <laughs> and I stumbled, <laughs> I, I stumbled across a news story that had determined what the most played song on radio was this century oh good lord now it does have guitars in oh right are you a fan of snow patrol sam <laughs> oh fuck off <laughs> that's where we're going with this sam uh chasing cars is the most oh, played god. song on radio this century sam um give me your thoughts on chasing cars by snow patrol it's not even Snow Patrol's best song. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck me. Um, <sighs> chasing Cars is to guitar-based music. Um, Smoke what? on the water, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's it's like diluted Coldplay. It's so dull and depressing and has no tangible weight meaning or it's or if, if i sat here would you sit with me that, that that's the concept is if i if i was doing nothing would you also like to do nothing with me together doing nothing it's literally a song about bullshit it's a song about nothing it's there's no tangible quality and you know what um, considering contemporary mock music of the last 21st century, there is no appropriate, no more appropriate metaphor than a song about fuck all <laughs> <laughs> that has permeated the charts. Because really, good rock music in the last 21st century is has been has been slim has been slim to none outside of our burgeoning metal and alternative uh, music genre. Um, Snow Patrol write music for people that don't listen to music. Um, this is why people think millennials are lazy because they're most popular songs about people doing nothing. Yeah, um, this is um, this is a song that you that you you'd sort of tap your fingers along to if you heard it in a lift, or you wouldn't necessarily turn it off if you heard it on the radio. Here's what here's what it is. Um, like if you um, if you got a, a poll of everybody in the country and asked them to pick their favourite colour, right? And say forty eight percent of people picked red, yeah, and forty eight percent of people picked blue. Right, but there were you could pick more than one option in the ballot box, yeah. The people that red didn't want to vote for blue, and the people that blue don't want to vote for red. So they both they both pick a colour that don't give a fuck about, thinking that'll never get picked. So they pick yellow, right? Then when we have a fucking ballot of the favourite colour, it's yellow because 100% of people put yellow as second, right? Neither red nor blue is everyone's favourite colour. It's fucking yellow because everyone put yellow. This, is, the second odd, this is oddly deep. I was expecting right. to get this to is, this. This is, this is, this is, Snow Patrol are the fucking yellow in this circumstance. No one actually has any strong feelings for or against them, including, I'm guessing, the members of Snow Patrol, to be honest with you. So this song is the, the definition of apathy in the last 19 years and is appropriately, apparently, the most played song because it is also, it's not the most played song, Chris. It's the least paused or skipped song in the same way that Yellow would have been chosen in a ballot. Mate, you know what bothers me the most? I've got a bit of OCD, I have. Um, you know, volume button's always got to be on an even number, that kind of thing. Right, right, OK. Mate, why the fuck are they deciding this in 2019? Why, 
Why are they deciding this 19 years in, man? I'm losing sleep over this shit. Are you saying what? they should just wait five months and do it in 2020? Could they not have waited six years in 2025? What would have fucking changed? Mate, it's fucking really bothered me, man. They've done it in 2019. Why now? Why couldn't they have waited till 2025 and be like, the most played song of the ra- on radio this quarter of a century? Who fucking decided this and why do they hate me? Because in, 20, in five years it'd be Old Town Road. <laughs> do you know what, mate? There's a fucking chance of that. And included in this list, uh, this is this is where it got kind of weird. Uh, included in this list, now they haven't meant, they haven't given like a list of like the top ten, but uh, the news article that I'm reading, it said that it, um, music loyalty body PPL calculated the it meaning chasing cars received the most plays ahead of I got a feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. What? And happy by Pharrell. Happy, what? Work, happy, happy. I do kind of get, but. What on earth? I got a feeling it's the second most played song on radio this century. Mate, what's happening? That's astonishing. It's fucking wild, yeah. Can you believe this? When I saw it at work, I was I, I thought, is this a parody? But then I, I looked at the sites I was reading it from, and it's like, man, it's legit as anything. So I was like, this is wild, man. I, I had to mention it too, just to see what your thoughts were. In case anyone was wondering, uh, Sam hates Sniper Patrol. Did you see that one coming? <laughs> I, and I hate the PPL who have calculated this because fuck those guys for doing this in 2019 and not 2025. I've literally lost sleep out of this. What are your thoughts on chasing cars? You know what, mate? I actually saw Snow Patrol at V Festival. Uh, did, you, did, you, did you regain consciousness at the end? Or? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, mate. Um, they pulled in a really big crowd and I didn't pay a single bit of attention to any note that was played until they played Chasing Cars. And I didn't know that people did this, but this is apparently a thing at Snow Patrol. Or maybe it was just maybe it's a, a thing at like fields because you, you're more suited to lie down. I, I looked around and literally, mate, hundreds if not thousands of people in the crowd were lying down with their friends because of the lyrics like, if I lay here. But oh my I looked God. around and, oh, mate, within like 30 seconds, I was the odd one out standing up. Mate, there was fucking loads of people lying down on the floor, which was uh, fucking bizarre. Um, but I don't know whether you remember this or whether you already know this. Um, it, the song actually, like, exploded in the US because they, they played it in a Grey's Anatomy episode. And, like, obviously, you know, that's, that's quite a fit for Grey's Anatomy because it's, like, one of those really, like, emotional... It's, like, yeah. ser- like serious scrubs kind of shows. <laughs> yeah. And apparently, like, it, it got to, like... Overnight, it went into like the top eight, I think, in the US chart, which is fucking shows how many people watching fucking Grey's Anatomy. Man, this was like back in 2006, I think, when people were still like buying music as well. So, mate, a lot of fucking people in the US watch Grey's Anatomy. But yeah, I, I'm, I think Chasing Cars is the only song I know of them. Uh, if mate, if maybe I'd stumble across another one on the radio, be like, oh, is this them? But. I'm, I'm much like you, neither here nor there. I do actually, I think Chasing Cars is a, it's basic, but, you know, the chorus is catchy in it. Um, and I think it suits a show like Grey's Anatomy, which is quite emotional, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm neither here nor there on them, but I really just wanted to mention this, because for a start, 2019, why have they decided this now? And secondly, because I knew you'd have some kind of vitriolic fucking violent rant to go on about them, even though they don't, they don't impact your life at all. 
I just you is there, is bastard. It, is it appropriate this is the last least objectionable song ever and it only got famous because it was in the background of a fucking TV show? <laughs> so it's, it's not even based on any musical ability. So no one's listening to it thinking, oh, that band, oh, my God. It's like reminding them of a Grey's Anatomy episode. Oh, I love this song. It reminds me of that time that guy had that thing that killed him. It was very sad. And any lie there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Going to move on to something that makes you a bit more happy, Sam. Uh, your greatest metal albums of all time list. Now, okay. Uh, the last, the last like section that we covered was Underground Gems, which was that's right. You flitted through it, but it was still interesting to hear some of your thoughts on some of the records. Mm. So the list that we are in now would be, um, if it wasn't for blank, metal wouldn't be blank. See, that is like a really wide, quite varying. Um, like title of a list so and you've already mentioned some absolutely banging albums like much earlier in in this 100 list Mm -hmm. so mate fucking crack on uh this would be started at number 58 would you 57 57 yeah so crack on man motley crew shout at the devil if it wasn't hear me out (laughs) so disappointed already if it wasn't for motley crew shout at the devil Metal wouldn't have had the glam metal explosion in the late 80s that it had, including Guns N' Roses' appetite for destruction. See, um, let me ask you something just as a point from that. Because you know more about Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue than me. I think Motley Crue is shit. But <laughs> are, are, you, like, are you saying that without this album by Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses like, don't happen? I think or, if it, they, or, or if they do happen, they don't create an album as good as Appetite for Destruction? And it doesn't receive the same, and it, it, it's more that it doesn't receive the platform that it needed to be as successful and as influential as it was, which maintained metal's popular success right throughout the late 80s to the 90s and kept it going. Like, Shout at the Devil set the, set the table for what was to come later, and it's one of the most influential metal albums in that whole late 80s LA scene that was also split between glam metal, which was what Motley Crue were doing, and thrash metal, which was what Metallica and Slayer were doing. And... Um, considering it had no marketing, uh, very little publicity, it was their first proper album. It sold five million records in 1984, uh, peaking at number 17. Um, famously, like Looks That Kill and things like that. And it was just an incredibly, incredibly influential album that kicked off an entire period that defined that mid, mid to late 80s period of metal as we were getting out of New Over British Heavy Metal and into this Guns N' Roses and Van Halen led period of time that kept metal popularity and was really a golden age for metal um of which motley crew absolutely contributed a massive part of curious then um i, I if you were going to talk about like glam metal slash hair metal I, i'd have thought that kiss would have been the originators well with with yeah with with with, with kiss that came that did come a little bit earlier and but they had that kiss had more of an impact on sort of like rock and roll than metal to be honest with you um whereas you can you can make a span from motley Crue through to guns and roses through to heavier bands later on that sort of spanned from there whereas kiss was it was sort of like the marketing and things like that and motley Crue, and at the time motley Crue were considered uh, just as just as popular as these sort of van halen bands and things like that whereas kiss were a little bit and it sounds strange to talk about it now because we're kind of considered separate. Um, these sort of bands are considered like an older band. There were cool bands and uncool bands. 
in in the late eighties, and if you're a rock metal, if you're a rock metal fan, you were either really heavy and you thought people that like Motley Crue were posers, or you were really into Motley Crue and you thought people that like Slayer were dickheads. And and that was that was that peak, and that was that cultural zeitgeist. You can't talk about metal for like a five year period, unfortunately, without talking about Motley Crue's um, impact on the genre. And it, regardless of your individual taste for the band, there are lots of albums here that contributed so much to the furthering of the genre and influenced so many people moving forward like Motley Crue did. You know what, man? I'll give him another go. Um, I, I doubt they're going to win me either, but I'll, I'll go in with an open mind as I do with all with all music. But I, I'd be very surprised if they get me thinking anything different because they're, I just, they're just not for me, man. I ain't into that kind of stuff. I, like, I can, I can make room for Kiss because there are some Kiss songs that are absolute bangers. Like, I can listen to Love Gun every day for the rest of my life. I think mean, Love Gun's an absolute banger. Uh, but Motley Crue, man, just, ugh, just nah. That's um, fair enough. Number 57? 56, sorry? Yeah, that's such a right. Number 56, Machine Head, Burn My Eyes. Fucking yes, mate. Uh, mm-hmm. and, what, and what do you... If, if it wasn't for this record, what are you it, claiming this record invented? Um, if it wasn't for Machine Head's Burn My Eyes... Um, new metal wouldn't have retained respectability among the metal genre for the next few years that it did because Machine Head did more to keep the new metal style that wasn't Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park heavy and they managed to mould that with thrash metal and things like that and what what Machine Head managed to do was create a new, not create a new style of music but further the new metal style and made it respectable enough among metal fans to keep new metal as a genre and keep that new that new flavour of metal during that period of time going. People people gotta remember this came out in nineteen ninety four as well. The same year that Korn's debut came out. And it's one of the most impactful and burgeoning releases of that year and that entire period that followed after it. And on top of that, it's absolutely fucking incredible. Yeah, it's an absolute fucking banging record, man. I remember looking backwards, because obviously we were only like one year one when this album came out, but I look back and you watched the video for Davidian. Yes. Scary, um, isn't it? Yeah. And, like, <laughs> Rob's there with his, like, his, dre- his dreadlocks and that. It's like a it's like a different image to what Metal had seen up to that point because he was, like, borderline, like, rapper in this yeah. in this fucking Metal band. Where he was but, with bra- out, but with breakdowns. Just chucking out these absolutely fucking burning riffs. I remember when me and you saw them, one of the best received songs that they played was Block. Yeah. Off off of Burn My Eyes. I, believe, I think it's the last song on the record, isn't it, Block? Yeah, I agree. Um, mate, it's a, a fucking absolute banging, banging record, this. Um, man, I mean, look back on vital metal songs. Mate, Davidian would be in the top 20 of everyone's list, surely. I completely agree. What what separated it apart, it was the, it was the heaviness and the nastiness and the, the lyrical content coupled with this Ability to, to bring in these sort of new metal elements and thrash metal elements as well. Um, it's the sort of crossover album that allowed metal to retain a part of its identity moving forward, as a lot of people thought that metal was dying through the whole Limp Bizkit era of, of, of metal, really. Just reminding myself of this track, this now, A Thousand Lies, uh, A Nation on Fire. Mate, this album, just reminded me that I'm, I'm going to be re-listening to this album on the way to work tomorrow. None Such but my own as well. That little clean riff with the heavy, oh, the riff with the harmonics. Such oh my a God. fucking sick record this is. You just reminded me how much of an absolute bad boy record Burn My Eyes is. And so different, right? Because, man, this doesn't like nothing like Korn's debut. 
<laughs> well, I mean, obviously, you know, it's within the confines of new metal, but this is like, this is for me, this is like half an inch away from leaving new metal completely behind. Do you know what I mean? This it's it's still just about new metal for me. Uh, but mate, what a fucking album this is, and absolutely uh, paved the way for what what people could do within the realms of a genre and still push further out. Yes. And then, and then, mate, look, even when you follow through, like Machine Head's, like, discography, mate, Burning Red five years later, completely different to uh, Burn My Eyes, but yet, mate, agreed. fucking still so fucking impactful on metal. The Blood, the Sweat, the Tears from this day, uh, Exhale the Vile, mate, man, Machine Head are the sickest band, and then, mate, what fucking... The blackening turns up fucking eight years later. I'm sure that comes to play in this list at some point later it, on. It does, it does indeed. Uh, two couple of nuggets to think about. You'll think about Burn My Eyes as the bridge between Bay Area Thrash, like Slayer and Testament and stuff like that, and Pantera. M- Machine at a bridge at the bridge there. And yeah. in between like, two metal, new, new metal albums, and they're right in the middle. And secondly, um, Burn My Eyes was, is, well, was... The big, the fastest and biggest selling debut album Roadrunner had come out until. Sip that self-titled. You got it, bro. Um, so it ha- it had an immediate success as well, despite how fucking heavy it is, which is incredible to think about. Because Machine did not and have not ever had the sort of media notoriety that Slipknot have had. So to be even in the same sort of. Um. Sort of group in terms of selling. That, that that Slipknot were able to produce is an incredible, incredible testament to them in in itself. And moving on to fifty five. Uh, next one up is Exodus, bonded by blood. So I'm not familiar with Exodus pretty much at all, apart from I know that Kirk Hammett was a member in them before Metallica. Is this an album that Kirk Hammett is on? No. No. No, okay. it's, it's the album that has Gary Holt on it, that, who is uh, yeah, now Slayer the... guitarist. Well, yeah. Slayer about to finish up, aren't they? But was Slayer guitarist, yeah. Um, it's here because of a couple of reasons. Um, it actually originally was recorded in 1994, but, but didn't come out later due to some sort of studio issues and things like that. And it was sort of re-released later and things like that. Came out a year later in 1995. Um, but really, it was Kill 'Em All, Slayer Show No Mercy, which is also on this list for obvious reasons. And then Bonded by Blood are the top three foremost thrash metal releases that came out and really set the blueprint for thrash metal lighter that sort of set the um, set the precedent for the albums like Rainy Blood and things like that. It's a, it's been, it was called a crucial piece of the thrash metal puzzle of which if you talk about some of the most influential and impactful genres in metal of all the subgenres in metal, thrash metal is absolutely one of those. So I say that with absolutely no compunction that if it wasn't for Exodus Bonded by Blood... Um, metal wouldn't have had the thrash metal explosion that it later enjoyed that's given us, what, three of the five greatest metal albums ever, like two years later? There's not a lot, a lot I can add to this because I'm not familiar with the band at all. They are one of the older bands that I do feel like I'm being silly by not checking out. So no, no, it's okay. If I'm going to go somewhere, I will go to this record. Absolutely need to, yes. And uh, come up at 54? Dream Theatre, Images and Worlds. So not not one that I can really uh, add much to again. Uh, so mate, again, the floor's yours, mate. You do a lot of talking in this episode. That's, a, that's, a, that's okay. I'm gonna have to really run with these album reviews. <laughs> um, Dream Theatre, Images and World. It's Dream Theatre's first album, and really gave birth to um, their prog metal explosion and and 
kind of popular that it became later. He's, he's entirely dense. This is the best album of one of the of the the genre's most famous um, bands, really, in terms of how it, how it's received and how they're thought of and things like that. It just received widespread acclaim, pretty much the. Metallica with Unjustice for All, you can see where that's been taken. With Dream Theater, if you don't get Dream Theater, you don't get a lot of the prog metal stuff that comes later. Um, bands like Gajira and, and even like elements of Mastodon and, and, and other bands as well, um, you could tailor them back to Dream Theater. Really, it's the greatest collection of, of, of musicians in terms of just like pure musical achievement. They all met, I think it was like the Boston College of art to the boston college of music or something like that it's like a trinity college in america where it's like a collection of just insane musicians mostly classically trained and they all just came together all happened to like metal and this created this album um this is this is worth this is worth a listen this is no no dream theater no periphery it's it's that sort of impact and those sort of those bands of that ilk and those bands of that influence and that and that that impact really dream theater with this it's one of one of prog metal's greatest releases like top five if it's a prog metal list dream theater would be sort of third here this is just a, a, a from a musicianship standpoint and an influence standpoint and and the pathway the blueprint that it led to later through the 90s and the 2000s for a lot of prog metal bands this is the master of puppets for prog metal and finish off this week this episode's list at 53 you're gonna absolutely hate me once again this is a uh, rush 2112 do you know what mate because of the conversation that i had when i was around yours la- uh, last last saturday i thought i thought that somewhere rush were going to come into this list mate uh, uh, again <laughs> bit of a running theme this week uh not a lot i can add here because i'm not really familiar the further up we go the easier these conversations become um but tell me about rush have... man i'm interested um, so this was Rush's third album, and I'll talk about Dream Theater setting the stage for prog metal. Rush set the stage for prog rock about um, 20 years beforehand. And just to set you a bit of context, Rush released their first two albums. The first one was very popular because it sounded like Led Zeppelin, and people were ringing up the radio stations asking for what's the when's the new Led Zeppelin album coming out, thinking that this Rush single was the new Zeppelin album, and they were like, no, it's a new band called Rush, etc. And uh, they became very popular, went out on a tour with like a Raya Heap and stuff. The next album was a little bit weird. Uh, it was a little bit sort of proggy and lengthened. There wasn't really a lot of singles. And the band dipped. Um, and the record label said, this next album has to be a success or we're taking you off. Uh, and um, we want a hit. We want you to write songs that we can play on the radio. So Rush's response was to write an album where the first track is 21 minutes long. <laughs> um, <laughs> because they had a conversation amongst themselves and said, well, if we're going to, if this is going to be the last album we ever do it, we're going to do it our way and not try and be like fucking Bad Company or, or whoever was popular at the time. So they come out with 2112, uh, an album that you just need to, you need to once just sit down and listen to the entirety of that first track. Um, 2112 with the overture into the whole story and everything like that. It's just, honestly, it's an incredible, incredible piece of music. Uh, this is a band that that create sort of orchestral style transitions with with their music and the five greatest albums. If you're a massive Rush fan or anything like that. Um, and after that, despite the fact that they didn't obviously have a single, 
at all. Um, Rush's popularity went through the roof um, because it resonated with um, rock fans at the time. And despite the fact that Electra Records, who were, I think it was Electra Records, um, were the people that were in control of Rush, and they were like, look, we want you to do four-minute rock songs, and Rush said, well, naturally, I'm going to do this 25-minute one. And that got you regained their popularity as a result. Uh, the record label went from that point onwards, fine, do what you want. And since that third album, Rush have been able to just be like, this is this is how we do it. This is what the album's going to look like, what it's going to sound like. And since then, even after their third album, which this was the biggest single from, um, they actually give their record label the album packaged, finished, track listed, printed and recorded, the whole thing. And it's already out by the time the record label even hear it. And that's been that's been the case since like 1979, <laughs> um, which is kind of incredible. Crazy, man. When, when you think about the impact that that album has had on their reputation and gave them the freedom. Um, and honestly, no 21, no 2112, no Rush and by extension, no Rush. I, I can't even list the amount of bands that are incredibly influenced by Rush going far as back as Metallica and Rage Against the Machine and Tenacious D and loads of wide spanning Music fans have said, well, I heard this album. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Billy Corgan um, gave an interview on a documentary I was watching recently where he said he actually, when he was like 15, 16, he couldn't really communicate properly with his parents and stuff. But he sat them down and played them 2112 in full and gave them the lyric sheet and then proceeded to stare at them while they read it. Um, Because he was like, I can't really express myself very well, but I want you to understand that this song makes a difference to me and things like that and and, and he and he got into smashing companies and like the, the the influence that rush have had spans four decades of metal music that this album was the birth for um so no rush no prog rock no rush no prog metal no rush no insert the next 15 bands that you could list them as massive influences for including kirk hammett who said he, he, when he heard La Via Strangiata by Rush, which is the album after this, it changed the way he played guitar. Judging by your thesis there, I'm surprised this isn't high up the list, man. I've got to be honest with you. Well, because it's a prog rock band. So its influence on metal is massive, but I, I have to take points away because it's not a great metal album. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, man. No, that's, that's, that's why we're judging it. Like Motley Crue Shout the Devil is really influential on Appetite for Destruction. Is it higher than Appetite for Destruction? Fuck no, it's not a better, it's not a better album. Yeah, do you know what I mean? You have got to be realistic. At the end of the day, the quality is what the most important is. But there are bands here and there are albums here that are here by virtue of influence more than musical quality at that at the time, because that it's a it's a two way street. It's a hand in hand approach. It's a marriage between the musical quality and the musical impact. And early on, the influence is bigger than the quality. But right at the top, the top twenty albums are ice stars in both quality and influence. What I'm going to do for next episode, I'm going to te- I'm going to get you to tell me what the next five are. I so can send I can you the whole list if so, you want. So I can. No, I don't want to know. Well, actually, I'll need to know for our ideas what I'll we're going to do for the category. top twenty. For our ideas, what we're going to do for the top twenty, I'll need to know then. But I, what, for next episode, I want to know what the next five are beforehand, so I can listen and have an idea rather than me just giving you the floor and you just talking and talking and talking um, and uh, knackering yourself out. But that was that was really interesting, man. I've got to check this Rush album, mate, man. Holy shit. You need I've never, be, never been introduced to them. Like you need to listen, just listen to twenty one twelve, the song first, the whole of it. it, it it's a journey, honestly, but you need to hear it. Twenty one minute song, fuck. 
Yeah, yeah, for real. It's um, it's incredible. But you'll listen to it, and you've got to imagine that it's 1978 when you're listening to it. Like honestly, it'll blow, it'll blow you away. Like this to uh, actually as well. Uh, Machine Head, uh, Rob Flynn really got into Rush around 2006 and 2007. Isn't that appropriate? Yeah, that kind of speaks volumes, actually. There you go. So, album reviews for this episode. We've got two absolute nasty boys for you. Uh, we're going to start off with Carnifex's World War X. Uh, it's the seventh album. I want to thank uh, Nuclear Blast for hooking us up yet again, uh, sending us out the record early. Uh, Sam, I've got to say, this was my first ever um, experience of listening to a Carnifex album in full. Me, me too. Yeah, man. I've been aware of their existence, but just not one of the bands I've ever really uh, delved into in terms of death metal slash death core. So World War X, I'm going in completely fresh thinking, I know they'll be heavy, but I don't know how good they'll be. Uh, and Matt, I'm a bit in love with this. Okay. Uh, this is an absolute nasty bastard of a record. This is... This is a serial killer in a theme park, man. Um, <laughs> mate. Why a theme park? Is that is that an extra, like an extra dangerous? Is that what it means? Like, well, yeah, because a serial, a serial, yeah, a serial killer in a theme park would be like, holy shit, he's got like hundreds of thousands of people to attack. Oh, was I that, see. Was, was that I, not I clear? thought you meant no, no. I, was, <laughs> I thought I thought you were going along the lines of, oh shit, he's a murderer, and shit, look at that two hundred foot drop. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's what I thought you were going on. It's like, it's a serial killer in the scariest haunted house in the world. I don't know. That's not in that. fairness, though, some of the bias drops on this album are fucking dirt. Apocalyptic, yes. Um, Man, I'm really fucking into this. I think this is an album that... Hey, man, you're going to listen to Death Metal album in 2019. It's a band's seventh album. But looking at some of the backstory, they were trying new things out on this album. And I think there's a production job done by Jason Sukoff, which is fucking beastly um for, for how much is going on uh the ideas and the way they work around some of the bass lines it is fucking massively intelligent i've got to say that the final minute of the second song on the album called visions of the end is probably my favorite minute of music this year there's like it's like the lead guitar solo goes yeah. straight goes straight into the go straight into the rhythm the rhythm stops, then it's a bass solo, then the drummer foot comes back in and the breakdown kicks. It's like, holy shit, this is the sickest thing ever, man. Like, it, it's like the way they take it in turns, like, solo, stop, rhythm guitar bit stop, uh, bass solo, stop, drum foot, bang, breakdown, fucking sick. It, literally, like, it, put, it puts the biggest smile on my face and listen to it. It's so ridiculously heavy. And I think that, as a record, this is probably the heaviest record that we've reviewed this year and that is fucking saying something because we've reviewed some horrible bastards this year but i think this is probably really far up there if not the heaviest and yeah. just back to the production that i don't think i've ever heard a death metal album use their bassist the way this album uses uh fred calderon there's the few times, and especially on uh, Eyes of the Executioner, he'll drop a tiny little quick solo in before the rhythm drops. And it makes it sound so fucking heavy. It is crazy. Um, the final breakdown in Eyes of the Executioner is like the biggest example. Just drop this quick little bass line in on his own. And then when the fucking breakdown comes in, I can't believe bands haven't thought of this before, or if they have thought of this before, I'm very upset that this is the first time I've experienced it. <laughs> I mean, this 
I mean, this is a reinventing the wheel for death metal. At the end of the day, this is uh, a very, very heavy death metal album that, you know, goes by the blueprint set before it. But I really, really like some of the stuff they've done with this. I think vocally, it's fucking scarring. As I've mentioned, the ideas they've dropped for the bassist Fred Calderon, I've never heard in a death metal album before. And I think they're dropping so many quick little tricks that just add to the overall sound. Uh, there's an unbelievable solo at the end of Brush by the Wings of Demons. And at the opening of uh, Hail Hellfire, there's this really nasty fucking, almost Chris Adler-esque technical bloom but as the as the song just kicks into fruition, uh, so I am fucking really into this record. I think this um, this is going to be something I'm listening to for a long time this year, man. Uh, what are your thoughts? I do like it. I do like the musicianship. I do like the heaviness. Uh, I'm not as in love with it as yourself. Um, I'll come out. I'll come out and say that I thought it was. I thought it was really impressive from a musician standpoint. Um, but I felt. I don't know. I felt like it was an exhibition in like sort of death metal instrumentation and sort of like a compilation of what the genre can do from a just a musicianship standpoint um i didn't find i didn't find the depth of songwriting there there was a light to all sort of variety there really now i heard i heard the first three two or three or four songs like yourself and i, and I don't get me wrong like I, I don't want to get my wires crossed here the musicianship here and some of the the riff writing and some of the mixing here is absolutely superb beautifully beautifully played and exhaustively played um but i think sometimes it does feel like like a lamborghini with no engine to use that a bit before that i, I sort of feel like i'm listening to all right you do a solo now you do a solo and you do a solo and, and i think and i think it, it gets it gets lost in the element of of depth there and while i think it is an impressive album i i don't find myself as engaged with it from a songwriting standpoint or from a depth standpoint as the next album we're going to review on our list north lane i just it's it's it, it, it like i said it's impressive and it ticks the right boxes i just don't i just didn't connect with it as much as i would like to have done i do find that interesting because felt a bit soulless last episode we were talking about the murder human target and i said to you i was like do you miss the solos you're like yeah man i really do now i thought when i was listening to this I thought, man, this is ready-made for Sam. Because, <laughs> obviously, man, there's no death metal slash deathcore vocalist that can do what CJ does. Or at least, I mean, they can do what he does, but to sound like CJ is a difficult uh, task. Yeah, he, he is he is unique in a, in a world of fucking vocalists. He manages to be somehow unique in this absolute fucking whirlpool of deathcore vocalists. So, the, they've got... The, dirt, the, the fucking violent screams there akin to CJ with these just absolutely fucking horrible rhythms with the solos added in as well. So I, I was listening to this thinking, I think Sam's going to be really caught on by this man. But, but basically, I'm assuming what you're referring to is a lack of a hooking chorus, really. Is that what we're getting at here? A, 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 a bit, a bit. It just, it felt like... It felt like the vocals were just the bits where the band were waiting to solo. Right. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah. that, 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 that's, that's, that's all I felt. That's all I felt. Of it. And I thought, I thought they were. I thought it was a wonderful instrumentation, but I, I, I thought it was just more of a collection of musicians throwing their abilities at each other rather than a, a, a compilation of stuff. It did just feel like I was just listening to like a jigsaw puzzle of instrumentation a bit, and it, 
it was it was impressive, but it, it just felt exactly what it was. Uh, incredibly technical, in, incredibly difficult, incredibly powerful, but I didn't even I didn't even get the vo- I didn't even get the conceptualized vibe across if I was just listening to it. It's called World War X, and where how was that communicated in the music? Oh well, mate. Fucking, if you ask me to pick apart the lyrics from a death metal oh, is it, album, is it, oh no, no, I'm not. Asking, <laughs> I'm not asking you to either. I'm not asking you personally to either. All I'm saying is, if it was a concept album of sorts, um, I wouldn't have been able to derive that as clearly as I'd have liked to. Whereas, as I looked at, I looked at that, and yeah, I missed, I missed some of the solos. Yeah, but the solos should be like the salad alongside the burger, so to speak. That should be like the little bits here and there. Um, for the for the main body of the song and the and, and the main purpose of it, of it listening to, um, the musicianship is part and parcel in delivering what the song's about. And I felt that this was four or five incredibly talented musicians that were just looking to show that. And that's what I felt, and they, they didn't feel it didn't grab me enough or compel me as much as I would like to. It was it was impressive, like I said, it was impressive, but felt a touch soulless. I guess the issue with when you start listening to a band on their seventh album is that the concept is very likely to already be tired by, from them by then, especially in death metal. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand. I know you, you paint yourself in a corner in that genre, and I, I, I do. Um, we literally said two weeks ago that we hope that is murder figure something out, something else different for the next album. They've only done four. Yeah. <laughs> this is Carnifex's yeah. kind of, seventh. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, and I felt though with uh, we had this conversation again, like you said, with with Thy Art, that I did feel that Thy Art had started to do that with some, with, with some experimentations in the in the types of guitar sounds they were using, the types of lyrics they were using. Again, going back to social commentary, and really sort of expanding on ideas of tone and depth, and 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 I thought there were beautiful examples here. I, I wanted to, I wanted to hear more of that the piano. Actually, I found myself listening to that, thinking, oh, that that is refreshing. Um, and it was really heavy and, 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 and really impressive. But like I said, it, it did feel like, I don't know, man, like 10 guitarist audition types a little bit I just, at times. I just love the bass on this album, man. Give me Fred oh, Calder on your ears all day. As, as, as musicians, these guys should be here. And I, if I was, if I produced this album, I would be handing it out on the street, being like, oh, I played on that. I, I, I'm part of that. I did that. Because it is just... A wonderful collection of musicianship. It just left me wanting more. Yeah, production on this is fucking sick. Uh, uh, yes. Absolutely fucking brilliant. Did a brilliant um, job. Just as a, a caveat, uh, do you prefer the production job on this to Human Target? No. 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 You still take Human Target? Yeah, I, I think I think you need a, I think you need a bit of brevity. I think you need a bit of rawness. And I think when it's a... There's a propensity for, for songs to sound too overproduced and too good, which is... You have to draw a line between sounding like Slipknot first album and Dragon Force. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like too perfect and too in key and too much. And between Slipknot making it sound like it's nine blogs hitting a shed, which is what they were doing actually for significant portions of the album. Um, so I, I don't like it. I don't like necessarily like it to be overproduced. I need to hear I need to hear some gaps and I need to hear some responses. And, and I like it a little bit. Like, it has to be well-produced, obviously, but I, I'd prefer it to be on the rawer side rather than the absolutely pristine recorded side. Yeah, the reason why I asked that is because 
when we talk about the Lotus murder, you weren't massive on the production uh, by Will Putney. Uh, I think it was the drums that you found. Probably. Yeah, because everything everything was the same volume. So like like in terms of uh, there's there's a difference between my my preference for um, bands. It, it still sounded like there's a group of musicians playing it, and it being abundantly clear that this is like a brain surgery of an album where things have been meticulously put together, and also someone operating the soundboard appropriately where the drums don't overpower everything and the vocals are randomly lower. There's this, this, there's different elements of production that I like, you know, and in this uh, in this circumstance, what I gave as a plus to Thigh Art in terms of it sounding rawer than this album, which is a plus, I can take away by the fact that the drums should have been turned down. So we're going to move on to uh, North Lane now, Alien. That was our review on uh, Carnifex's World War X out on August the 2nd for a nuclear blast. So, uh, North Lane's new record, Alien. Uh, I'm going to start here by prefacing that uh, I'm not sure what I mentioned on this podcast, but I've certainly mentioned on podcasts that I've done with you before, that North Lane were just a band that for some reason I never really got on, on the boat for. Yeah. I, I remember I was into their debut album called Discoveries. I think it was back, released back in the early 2010s, maybe 2011. Um, and then they kind of fell off my radar for a while. I, I stopped really paying attention. They did have a song called Quantum Flux on their second album. I think it was called Singularities, which I remember, I remember really digging. But in terms of an album, I never really dived in. And then before I knew it, uh, the vocalist had left and uh, Marcus was in the band. And then they released an album called Node in 2015. And that was around about the same time I was starting to really, really get into the likes of Parkway Drive, yeah. Periphery, Emure... Uh, Suicide Silence, just these bands that uh, I thought that were doing something really, really special with heavy music. So, because I was really getting into Periphery the same time as Node come out. I mean, mate, fucking Periphery of the creme de la creme of uh, gent or tech metal, if you want to call it. Indeed. Um, so, North Lane were always going to find it difficult to impress me at that point. So, so at that point, I just stopped paying attention to them. And then two years ago, me and you saw them at Slam Dunk. And I remember saying to you before they came on, I was like, man, like, I've just got like, I've got su- such little interest in this band. I don't know why. I was like, I'm kind of hoping that watching them will get me kind of like interested again, I guess. And I remember we were we both left being like, well, I'm just a bit uninspired by that. I mean, it was mm. just absolutely fine, wasn't it? I mean, playing on the third, third, I think it was, I think it was the third stage. At Slam Dunk headlining, but the way that Slam Dunk Midlands uh, setup was made, it where they're playing in the middle of a fucking shopping mall. I <laughs> it, it's not the most ideal place for you to play at Slam Dunk. But regardless, like, you know, we saw Four Year Strong play there, and they were amazing. So I, I remember just thinking, like, yeah, man, maybe I'm just, like, not into North Lane at all. They released that record called Mesma, which I never, I, I haven't even bothered listening to that album. I, I don't even know what that sounds like. So when this dropped in our inbox, I was kind of like, right then, let's see what we're saying. Could, Will they finally get me? And they finally got me, sir. Good. They got me. I'm um, pleased. I'm so pleased. So they've got me, and and it's at the point where like I'm going to really go back and really try to get back into Node, and I'm going to listen to uh, to Mesma for the first time and see what that record this, is saying. This is a singularity in full, please. Oh my God, what an album that is. I'm worried that by listening to Singularity, it'll be a bit of a placebo for me because the vocalists are there anymore. Because <laughs> you know, the Valkyries left. No, no, no! Don't, don't deny yourself the joys out of principle, please. That is a brilliant, be a brilliant album. So the new record, Alien, uh, out August second as well. I want to thank uh, Little Press for sending us the copy early. 
this has got a really good balance between like tech, gent, and just straight up metal, which I wasn't expecting at this point. And I thought that maybe they would just like really like quadruple down on the idea of we've got a niche market for people that really like our techie gent style. But there's just like some straight up metal in this one, which I really, really appreciate. Uh, what are you thinking of this? Really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought their last two albums were disappointing. I thought that I thought the thing is with North Lane uh, was that they always felt like they were leaving something on the table. Like I always walked away thinking like this is this this could be heavier, this could be harder, this could be better produced, it could be faster, this could be like why is this strangely ethereal and like deliberately distant? Like it felt like I was listening to a band through like a plain glass window. It was really strange. But this, this is, I think they've, they've put it all together a little bit. I really, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Bloodline and 4D, two songs oh, right I next to each other. I absolutely love 4D. Those two songs together. 4D is the best chorus on this song, on this album, it is, I it think. Is, yeah, I've got that written down in my Absolute, notes. absolute, absolutely superb. It's, it's holding out, it's what it is. It's the holding out plants album that you adored that I didn't think was heavy enough for me to enjoy. But this is a heavier version. This is the version of the Hold and Absence uh, album that I really I wanted to hear. Like, it, 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 if you kicked up the pants a little bit, because it has that atmospheric quality that Hold and Absence was absolutely incredible at. But it's got a little bit more of a kick that that hooks me, and a little bit more as a metal fan. Um, but uh, as well with Bloodline, um, the the breakdown at the end of Bloodline is 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 superb as well, and re really fucking kicks off. Um, and there's lots of songs that have that sort of vibe to it. Um, Swan Subtraction, um, someone needs to sit the vocalist down and tell him that his impression of Marilyn Manson is terrible, and, ne and he needs to stop doing it in songs. Give it spoken word stuff. Uh, the, uh, the, uh all that <laughs> shit. Stop, stop it, it's, it's, it's weird, and it, it, it I kind of cringed, I'll be honest, it didn't, it didn't suit it. Um, Sing or Scream, um, this in-between bit doesn't work for you, doesn't, at least not with that style of, of, of accent. Uh, but the rest of it, I thought, was intelligent. I thought it was well written. Um, I think this is what the thing is with North Lane, is that they experiment sometimes with tempo and percussion, and they they don't always sound like your average metal band. There's something slightly tweaked about them, and I think this is where they've actually managed to find that balance between um, the tweaks that make North Lane indi individual and also the the cold hard facts of a great metal album. And I think this combines together beautifully. I think this is their best release since Singularity, actually. I think this is their... No, no, I've just decided it's their second best album. And that'll be the the, the hill that I'm dying on. <laughs> it's weird for me because, like... I, I, the songs I love most on this album are 4D and Eclipse. Because they, oh, do, Eclipse some, is good. they do something d slightly different with the concept of what they are. Like, 4D's got that big, massive, anthemic... Uh, floor-filling chorus, and Eclipse brings that really, like, crazy cross-fade electronic element, which really works wonders, and one thing that I've got to mention, you know I me, mean? I love a production job, uh, this album's self-produced, man, and considering that they've done this themselves, it's got a real musical depth, because for a young band like this to self-produce their own album, you would expect that somewhere along the line, there'd be the arguments of, nah, nah, just, I, I, I want another 10 seconds of doing this riff, or uh, you should turn me up a bit louder there, because I reckon it'll send it just a bit good for me. Uh, none of that. Man, this is a real cohesive, really, really tight, fucking sick tech gent metal album. I'm really into this, and I think that this should be the album that people can look back to and be like, maybe it was 
a turning point for the band because it does feel like they've kind of been lagging along for the last four to five years in the sense that when was the last time before this album you were look, paying attention to social media or uh, looking at reviews on websites and thought, man, I really need to get back into North Lane. Yeah, it, it's not, it's not lot, happened. Not a lot of people have been talking about them or pushing them. I remember Mesma was a surprise drop. It, they just released it, yeah. uh, a bit like Avenged did and that kind of stuff, which I thought, oh, when I saw that, and I saw that happen, I thought, maybe I'm going to come across some stuff on websites that's going to suggest maybe I really need to listen to this album. And still, it just kind of like, just like, dropped into the ocean it just it just appeared submerged and then it was kind of like never mentioned again till i saw him at slam dunk so when i went into this album i was like man if it's not never it's really going to be never because this is like what album five i think a third album with marcus on and i was just like man it's now or never and they've got me man this is i'm really really into this this is the this is the album that I'm not going to say now I'm like a massive North Lane fan or that this is an album that has literally completely turned, changed my mind on the band because there's still some things here that I don't like. Um, there was a song on there which was uh, uh, Sleepless. Uh, the the song that finished was a bit like, mm, I think you've run out of ideas here. And there was a song on there called Gin, which it was just like kind of like uneventful even though I, I didn't really understand what they were trying to do with it. Um, although there is a song on there actually called Rift, which I really liked. Uh, it's literally just, uh, just like more of a stripped-back version of them, which, again, is something a bit different, which I enjoyed because, you know, 12 songs of Tech and Gents, you know, there's only a, a lot of Tech and Gent riffs sound kind of the same because <laughs> it's relatively limited unless you're fucking magicians like Periphery. But this is a really good album. I'd recommend this to pretty much anyone that's got a taste for... Anything alternative, you'll get something out of this album. I enjoyed this much, much more than I expected to. And this is an album that is going to make me definitely um, go back and, and listen through. I'm, I'm glad to hear it, man. I'm finally glad that you've I've done something to win you over, which is really good to hear. I love this album. I'm, I'm a big fan. You know, they are touring, mate, in a few months. Uh, and I reckon this album has got me to a point where I, I think I'd, uh, I'd consider turning up. Because <laughs> that that should, I, that should go on the front of their album as they release a good labels that would you know I'll consider turning up now it's coming out I'll consider turning up <laughs> Chris no, I'll definitely be going back through North Lane um, and I'll be seeing whether uh, 2019 version of me can be won over uh, by Node and Mesmer sweet. So that's it for this week's episode of the Noise Podcast. Bit of a shorter one than usual. You might be glad to hear. I'm not sure about that. Um, but the next episode definitely won't be shorter than usual. And that is because uh, we will be reviewing the new album from fucking Slipknot. We are not your kind. And me and Sam, next Monday as we record this, are going to go and see After the Fucking Burial uh, in Birmingham. So I'm sure we'll have an absolute ton of words to say about that absolute banging time that we're about to have. Remember to follow us, uh, Twitter at Noise UK, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Noise UK. You can follow me and Sam on Twitter. Our links will, uh, our ads will be in the description box. Subscribe to us on YouTube. means a lot to us when you do that. And make sure to check out Noise.co.uk for your guys' interviews, reviews and news pieces. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. We will be back in two weeks. New Slipknot album. We cannot wait to review it for you. We love you. Bye.